invite you to turn in your copy of Scripture to our text this morning, which is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. So we are in a series through the book of Hebrews. I will be reading verses 5 through 9. And there we read, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. As we consider our text for this morning and consider our first reading from Psalm 8, I want us to uh, consider the, also the solar eclipse that Stan alluded to during the first reading from Psalm 8 that many of us experienced this uh, past week. It was quite the buzz in the media. A lot of people were talking about it, drew a lot of attention. A lot of people prepared for the solar eclipse by buying special sunglasses in order to, to see it. And some people said, forget the glasses, and they tried to observe it without any kind of protection, and they ended up regretting it later. And there was one story that I read in Forbes magazine that some hospitals had to treat people who had put sunscreen on their eyeballs. (laughs) So just to make it clear, I'm not saying that they put sunscreen on their face and then some of the sunscreen like got into their eyes, but they, they literally put sunscreen on their eyeballs in order to uh, view the eclipse and have uh, protection. It wasn't a good idea. But that solar eclipse on Monday, that was a great thing, I think, because it caused a lot of people to look up and to consider the vastness of space the vastness of God's great creation. It caused a lot of people to stop and to consider that here are these two massive bodies, these two objects in our solar system, the sun and the moon. Massive objects that man has no control over, no power over, and these two massive objects are going to be crossing paths. The eclipse caused people, even for just a moment, to think on a cosmic scale rather than just to focus on the day-to-day grind of life here on earth. And in many ways, that is one of the impressions that we are left with as we read the letter to the Hebrews. The way that Christ is spoken of as the glorious Son of God who is like the Father in the way Christ is spoken of, causes us to look up and to consider the cosmic scale of his glory and power. 
And this was especially important for the Hebrew Christians who were suffering persecution and were, who were enduring hardship and rejection. We know that it is so easy in moments of pain, in moments of struggle, in moments of trial and of difficulty. It is so easy to focus in on ourselves and to forget the bigger picture, to forget to look up and to consider the glory of Christ and his cosmic authority as he reigns even at this very moment. And so that's what we see here in verse 5, which speaks of Christ's dominion. We read there that it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. Now the world to come here refers to the new heavens and the new earth. It refers to the consummated glory that Christ has inherited as the heir you and I will enter into because we are in Christ. We are in him. He has received all things, and thereby, because we are in him, we too will inherit what he has been given. And so the significance of this verse is that it shows that we gain through Christ who has already gained it all. That is the emphasis of this verse and the subsequent verses. That there is a world to come. The new heavens and the new earth. A renewed earth. It's a place more glorious than you and I can imagine. That words cannot describe. It's a place of joy, of peace. It's a place of Christ's eternal presence. And that is where we will be, loved ones, because we are His, because we are in the Son. It is a place that will be subjected to Christ's Lordship and that we will inherit through Him. But why? Why do we get so much glory? Why are we given such majesty in Christ? Have you ever received a very generous gift? And what's usually your first question? Why are you giving this to me? I don't deserve this. Why are you giving this to me? And that is the appropriate question for us to ask as we look at this text this morning and the promise of the eternal inheritance that we will receive when we will enter into his kingdom and receive the glory that is promised. Why? Why are you and I promised such a gift that we have a taste of now and we will see the fullness of it in eternity? Why? And the answer we see in our text takes us back to Psalm chapter 8 as we consider first Adam's failure and the promise of a Savior. Here the writer quotes from Psalm 8, which describes how man... Now, Adam was the crown of God's creation. He was the pinnacle of God's creation. The psalm describes the detail and the privilege that God gave Adam in his creation. He created the world, and then he put Adam in his creation and gave Adam dominion over it all. And this is an amazing thing to consider. I'm not sure if if you've 
thought about it as you've read the creation account in Genesis. But just to consider how small Adam was in comparison to the rest of creation. You know, in comparison with the oceans and with the mountains and the planets and the stars, Adam was so small, so seemingly insignificant, and yet he is given dominion. He is called the crown of God's creation. King David reflects upon this great mystery in Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 through 6. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now the dominion referred to here by David points us back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where we read that God created Adam in his image, and God gave Adam dominion over all creation. We read there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God saying, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over all the earth. What we see in this creation account is God's original design for his creation. Adam was created and given dominion. All creation was put under his authority, and he was to rule over it and to enjoy it. He was to work it all and keep it, is what we read in Genesis. All of creation was given to Adam for his enjoyment and pleasure, for his stewardship. And it's important for us to consider that God created for our enjoyment and pleasure. You know, God could have made the sunsets very plain, just one color. And yet every time you see a sunset, it seems like one is more beautiful than the next, than the last one. And you think, can't get any better than this. And then you see another one that's more beautiful reveals his glory and his goodness to us. And you think of the food that we eat. could have all been very plain, very tasteless. And yet, it's not just one type, but we have fruits and vegetables and seeds of all colors and flavors, textures that are delicious, that have aromas. All of this is God's goodness to us, allowing us to take pleasure in his creation. All these things are amazing. And and we need to confess this morning and every day that these are not the result of time and chance. They're not the result of some cosmic accident that happened at some point in the past. And we're not here this morning merely as a, a mass of meaningless atoms amidst a mass of more meaningless atoms. We're, we're not... Cosmic accidents, loved ones. But what we read in Scripture, what we read in Psalm 8, in Genesis 1, is that God made a beautiful and a vast creation, and he established humanity as the crown of his creation. That we alone are made in the image of God. 
But we know, we know the tragic turn in the history of redemption, don't we? We know that all of this, the way that God designed creation was ultimately diminished when Adam fell into sin, when he disobeyed God's commandment. From Scripture, we know that when Adam sinned, he compromised the dominion given to him by God. And as our federal head, as the representative of all humanity, he broke the covenant of works in which God placed him. And as a result of his sin, he brought all of the curses of the covenant upon all of his descendants, upon all of humanity. As a result of Adam's sin and the judgment that God brought upon creation, humanity has not experienced the dominion over creation as God intended it from the beginning. We see this every day in our own experience. That now, rather than ruling over it, humanity is often ruled by it. Rather than properly stewarding creation, humanity instead worships it in idolatry. The Apostle Paul speaks of just how far humanity fell from true dominion over creation in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Very well-known text. where Paul writes about the depth of human sin. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The very dominion that was to be man's now was ruling over and is ruling over man, as man is now bowing down and worshiping God's creation rather than the creator. And so this is how the Bible, loved ones, explains our problem. Man was created in glory and honor and was given dominion, and yet it has all been diminished by the fall. Man fell from that estate in which he was created, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it. And yet, in his mercy, we know the story does not end there. In his mercy, God did not allow all humanity to perish in sin, but God promised a Savior. He promised one who would come to bear the curse of sin. One who would restore the glory and honor and dominion that man lost by his fall. This restoration we read in the Older Covenant would come was the second Adam, the one who we know was Jesus Christ. So what we see in this story in redemptive history is that where the first Adam failed and what the first Adam lost would be restored by the second Adam, by Christ, who would not fail to give dominion to his people. That's what we see in our second point, that everything is in subjection to our Savior, to the second Adam. This restoration of dominion, this restoration of paradise would come about through Christ. This was the promise. But how would it come about? Well, we see here in our text that it would come about through Christ's humiliation 
and through his atoning death, that he would come and bear the curse and shame of sin so that we would be restored to God, that dominion that we lost, that fellowship, that glory that has been diminished. And this is what we see here described in verses 7 through 8 of Hebrews chapter 2. There we read, You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Now, verse 7, which reads, You made him a little lower than the angels, speaks of Christ's humiliation and all that that involved. Speaks of the fact that Christ, the second person of the Godhead, who was the eternal Son of God, who is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, as described in Hebrews chapter 1, that this Christ humbled himself by being born of a virgin, by being born under the law, by taking on a true human nature and suffering the pains of this life and suffering the struggles and the difficulties of this life. And through it all, living a life of obedience and suffering and ultimately dying a cruel death on a cross. That was all involved in his willing humiliation. And when we speak of Christ's humiliation, we know that from the Bible, the way it is described is that the death Jesus experienced was ultimately an atoning death. It wasn't just a common death. It was an atoning death for the sins of his people. He was the the second Adam who bore the wrath and curse of God in his body on the tree. This is what we read in Scripture was the depth of his humiliation for us, for you and for me. And as a result of his obedient life, as a result of his willing death, in response to his obedience, God exalted the Son. Humiliation was followed by exaltation. Verse 9 says, Jesus was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Loved ones, in our text, do you see the cosmic scale of redemption? Do you see how the text draws our gaze up to Christ, to glory in Him? See, God could have judged every person for sin as a result of Adam's fall, shown no grace at all, and he would have been perfectly just to do so, perfectly righteous. And yet, Scripture says that in his mercy, he elected a people for redemption, and that he accomplished that redemption through the second Adam, through Christ, through Christ who is We know no longer suffering humiliation, but whom God now has raised and exalted at his right hand. Christ has been crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering. How the Apostle Paul explains it in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. There we read that God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What we see in our text, what we see in Ephesians 1, is that Christ is Lord over all. All things are in subjection to him. He has dominion. And this is how the story of redemption comes full circle in our text. We see here that the glory and the honor and the dominion that was lost by the first Adam because of sin, Christ, dominion, all things are in subjection to him because of the fact that he lived a perfect life, perfectly obedient, unlike the first Adam. And the promise for us this morning, loved ones, is that those of us who are his brothers and sisters are also now under his dominion, in his kingdom. Think about the picture here. That the first Adam was banished from paradise because of his sin, because of his fall. But you and I will be welcomed into paradise because of the atoning work of the second Adam. We will not face rejection because he has atoned for our sin. Christ has dominion. And this is what is true of Christ, loved ones, and what is true of us. And it is true at this very moment is what Scripture emphasizes to us. It is a truth that is ultimately, we know, perceived by faith. It is a truth understood by faith, by a true and saving faith. And that is what we see in verses 8 through 9 of Hebrews as we consider our third point, glory now and not yet. In these verses uh, 8 and 9 of Hebrews chapter 2, we read, At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. As we look at these verses, we need to consider the fact that the glory now that we're speaking of and that this text draws our attention to is the present reality of Christ's rule and reign. That is a reality at this very moment. But as the writer says here, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. The writer is pointing out the fact that Christ is ruling and reigning, though by our experience here on this earth, it may not always seem that way. The author points out that though Christ is ruling and reigning, and though we are in Christ and have been raised with him, there is yet a final stage of redemption that is to come. We have glory now, but we also have it not yet, is what is emphasized in this passage. And that not yet is the consummation of his kingdom on earth in the last day. 
It is on that day at the end of the age when we will fully and finally see his kingdom inaugurated, his kingdom established. We will see the new heavens and the new earth or the renewed earth. And this is a reality, loved ones, that we understand by faith, by a true and saving faith, that though our daily experience sometimes doesn't allow us to to feel as though Christ is ruling and reigning, we stand on the truth of Scripture, that even now all things are in subjection to him. Because though we don't necessarily see it sometimes, and it may be hard to understand, what we do see is the fact that there are evidences of his triumph, of his rule and reign. And those evidences are the spiritual power that he exerts over his people and over this world. That already his coming triumph is working in our lives as we see many turning from sin. You and I turning from sin. We see this as his church is growing throughout the world. As the gospel continues to go forward. As people are brought into his kingdom. We see it as Satan's kingdom is diminishing. And Christ's kingdom is growing here on this earth. That his rule and reign is obvious. It's obvious to those who have been given eyes to see and ears to hear. Who have been given a saving faith and a true faith. And so loved ones, what you and I need to do. A king who is for us. A king who has everything that has been given to him because he is the heir of all things. He is the king of a kingdom that is unshakable, that is eternal, that is glorious. And scripture tells us that it is a place that it is under his dominion and not under the dominion of Satan, sin, and death. And this is our encouragement this morning. This is our encouragement this morning to persevere in our faith to cling to Christ. As we see the present reality of his rule and reign, and as we anticipate the final consummation of his kingdom. Our problems, as we experience the daily setbacks of life, the health issues, the family conflict, the rejection, the persecution the difficulties of faith that come on, sometimes it seems, too frequent a basis. And sometimes these problems can seem insurmountable. I look around this sanctuary as, as your pastor, and I know some of the problems that you have faced and some of the trials that you are currently facing. And we, as we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we have shared those problems with one another. We are praying for one another. And sometimes, as we live this life, it can seem like those problems are insurmountable. Like we might be overcome by them at some point. Loved ones, we need to look up. Our problems may indeed be big, but we must see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. 
We must look up to him and be strengthened in the, in the reality that we have a certain hope that is secure in Christ. That you and I have a king who rules over an unshakable kingdom. One who has established his dominion. And you and I stand on the promise that this kingdom is coming. Soon, night will be no more. You and I will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be our light, and we will reign with him. We'll have dominion with him forever and ever. Amen.